And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond. This is Sam Maxwell finally coming back to you on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Uh, We thank you for joining us this evening. And uh, before I bring on my featured guest, I just wanted to say a few words as uh, considering that we haven't been on air in about five months, I believe, uh, since May, uh, six months come to think of it, if I'm doing my math correctly. Um, I, I, I greatly appreciate the fact that you all have been listening since 2013. Some of you may have been listening since then. Some of you may have been listening only recently. And whoever you are, whatever you do, I greatly appreciate you chiming in to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. This podcast has been created and devised out of the idea of keeping the audience active listeners in the research process of the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series. And anybody could create a Brooklyn Dodgers TV series at any particular time, Um, but luckily nobody has yet. And maybe that is partially because I've been doing this for as long as I have. Um, I want to bring this story to you in a dramatic TV-type narrative. Um, And and in this day and age, we know of so many series, of so many TV shows, of so many historical dramas that come to you in uh, uh, an episodic, formulaic component. Um, we have a built-in narrative that, that, that is, is the story of Brooklyn and their Dodgers that we have to figure out how to dramatize properly to bring to the public. And I still think it's as fresh as ever. I still think so many of the thematics of modern American history can all be told through this one corner of the world, and that is Bedford and Sullivan, where the Dodgers had their right field fence at Ebbets Field. And I still believe that they're, you know, that number one, from a creative standpoint, that I'm going to be able to assemble the perfect first episode to bring to all of you. Um, but this stuff sometimes takes way too much time. And for me, you know, I ha- I ha- there's so many different things that have happened over the course of almost 10 years since I was able to first talk to the Brooklyn Borough historian, Ron Schweiger, as well as Larry King, who grew up in Brooklyn. That was the first episode I ever presented. And I am so further in the way I conceive a first episode. I am so, and, and Rob can attest since he's read almost every draft that I've, I've ever made, um, he can attest that this stuff continues to evolve, that this stuff continues to be figured out because it's, it's a hard concept to bring to fruition. Uh, but I do believe one day I will not only be able to, from a narrative perspective, bring you the proper uh, story, but also where the industry and the people that I connect with also say, you know what, this is the appropriate time to bring this story to the world, and that's what we're going to do. And and I just want to thank you all for almost next summer, 10 years, having been along for the ride. And Rob, before I introduce our other guest, Rob Barnes, Super Dodger fan, I want to thank you for being a part of this journey, no matter how long it takes. Well, first of all, uh, I want to thank you, Sam, for involving me with this, because obviously by listening to you, what you just, what you just said, your passion for this project is, is second to none. And you have found other others with a similar passion for the Brooklyn Dodgers and their story, and I am one of them. And they're obviously when we get to Steve, he'll be another one. And it's 
just an honor to be a part of this, to have being read your scripts, visualizing it in my head. When I read the scripts, I can see it. I can just absolutely see it and, and see it come to life, and nothing more would please me more than to see to see this come to fruition. Thank you, Rob. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, without further ado, let's bring on our other guest, and that's Steve Dugan, who uh, connected with me from uh, the southern tier of this country. And we, we kind of both together realized uh, the way that this story of Brooklyn and their Dodgers doesn't necessarily isolate us to the Northeast, other than the fact that Rob is a fan from the Midwest. Uh, Steve is a fan of both the lore and the Dodgers themselves at the time via the via Alabama. Um, so, Steve, I, I, I greatly appreciate you texting me the other day, uh, of course, talking about your book, which I will ask you to, to uh, talk about as well. Um, but thank you for joining us on, on a, a, a podcast that has not been recorded in about six months. Well, thank you for having me. And um, to me, um, I don't know if I've ever been to Brooklyn. I've been to New York. I don't know if I was ever in Brooklyn. So when I think about Brooklyn, it's just something that comes to me through my imagination. It's something between TV shows like The Honeymooners and you, something you need to people might have a hard time understanding is where I grew up. Even after the Braves came to Atlanta, if we wanted to go to a baseball game, we had to ride 100 miles in the car just to get there. And the idea that you could grow up in a town and walk to a Major League Baseball game just sets off fireworks in my imagination. So to me, Brooklyn and the Brooklyn Dodgers are just built right out of my imagination. So, Rob, you and I met in Chicago for the first time in person only blocks away from where you could walk to a stadium. So listening to Steve and kind of, you know, imagine that world and only imagine it. What do you, what do you, what, where do you go? Well, I go is right. The first time I met you was, was last winter in Chicago, but we remember we also had lunch together this summer. I was again in New York and I finally yes. chased some ghosts, yes. as I like to say, as I've been to New York. I've been to New York possibly, oh, probably ten times. I've been to Brooklyn three or four times, but I could never take myself to go to Bedford and Sullivan to see where the stadium was and now the, the Ebbetsville Apartments. I finally did it this summer, and we can get into this tonight as, as we progress. Well, Let's let's go right to that because you know I I was kind of loose about where we were going. You know, uh, you guys didn't know that I would start the show with kind of a disclaimer, if you will, considering that we hadn't been on air in so long. So Rob, like let let's get to it. You finally went to Evans Field. I did. I finally did. My wife, Ma, we were out there for. Uh... My daughter was at, a, at an event at Stony Brook University, and she's a composer, and she had a piece being played in Manhattan. We had a day to kill, and I said, let's do it. I have to do it. I've been talking about it forever. Let's do it. We started at the cemetery with Jackie Robinson's graves. I got, I got pictures there. Finally, with some help from you and, and from Micah Collin as well, we, did, I, we just was knocking around, ended up in – Ended up down right by Abbott's Field, went to the Starbucks. It was a hot day. It was a super hot day. The car, the air conditioning was cranked. And finally went to the corner of Bedford and Sullivan, and I walked. I basically walked the perimeter of where the stadium was. And I was in awe. I was saddened. I was just the fact that all of these incredible, Incredible events happened here where there are now these 25-foot or so uh, tall apartments just 
blew me away. And just to know that they were there and to know that I had finally walked these hallowed grounds made me feel even more closer to this, this entire story. So, Steve, uh, you haven't been to Brooklyn. You haven't, uh, you haven't been to Ebbets Field, of course. Uh, so when you hear this connection to history, even though, like, there, there's, you know, like to kind of kind of echo where Rob is coming from, I'm not sure, Rob, if you went to uh, the middle of, of the, you know, where there, there's a plaza in the middle of the apartment complex and there's, there's a playground and, and you're, you're able to walk heightened uh, probably on I am, what would be a second or third story. Yeah, go ahead. I'm aware of it. I saw, I remember Mike did a video of it going in there. It was, it was a weekday after. No, I think school was, I mean, there were school buses. There's a lot of people around. I didn't feel right walking in, you know. So I, I said, right. I knew it's there. I've seen the videos, and and I'm now I'm I'm kind of kicking myself. I should have done it, but yeah, I'll go back. No, it's 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 so strange, and it's a strange feeling for sure. So, um, Steve, you know when you you haven't been over there, but you're hearing all of this. Um, do you can you relate to anything down in Alabama, down uh, in Atlanta, where where? you're familiar with. Um, can you relate anything to us regarding either baseball history, history itself, that, that uh, you know, even though you haven't been to Brooklyn, you could, you, could, uh, you know, tell us the story of, of how that connects with you? Well, uh, when I was growing up, we lived in Atlanta for a few years, and uh, my daddy, who was from Indiana, he loved baseball, and he would take me to a place called Potts de Leon Park to see the Atlanta Crackers play. They had a good minor league team in the Southern Association. Uh, Ernie Harwell was one of the announcers. Eddie Matthews played for the Crackers. But the thing that always thrilled me the most was going into that ballpark, Ponce de Leon Park. Now so many of these stadiums don't look like baseball stadiums. They just look like stadiums. But Ponce de Leon Park was a baseball stadium. When you walked in there and you saw the field and you saw that double-layered signs all around the outfield, it was like a vacation from real life. And, of course, when the Braves came, that was the end of Ponce de Leon Park. So I miss it. Baseball lives in my imagination at Ponce de Leon Park. And I think I can identify with people in Brooklyn who miss Abbott's Field. I think there's just something that you connect maybe with your youth or your past, and you lose it in fact, but you never lose it in your imagination. So, Rob, this is where I'm going to go uh, from where Steve said. You're a big Dodgers fan. Big L.A. Dodgers fan. They have changed their ways over the last decade. Um, and my Mets are starting to do the same. So, like, when people say that you're trying to buy championships, and, and mind you, I don't mean this in any disregard or, or uh, condescension when I say it hasn't exactly worked out that way over the last 10 years. You have been able to get one championship, uh, and that was a 2021 that was shortened, uh, that unless you win another one, kind of like the Houston Astros did to, to kind of put 2017 behind them, you, you as the Dodgers, other than putting 2017 in the fact that that one was quote-unquote stolen from you, you have to put this connotation of a COVID championship behind you as a franchise. The Mets have 
seen a difference in the last two years, yet the way that we finished the the years have been similar in spiritual interpretation. Um, so, like, he's, you know, the way he talks about the the olden days, you know, that kind of continues, like, like we want to kind of, I guess, I guess, remind ourselves that uh, I, I forget exactly where the frame of reference was with this question, but I, I, maybe you can help me, Rob, finish this properly. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, think, I get it. I, things change, you know, but at the same time, we like as much as like all of a sudden the Mets and the Yankees have changed personalities. Like, there's still always that echo of history, I guess is where I'm coming from here. Anyway, I'm going to shut up and give it to you, Rob. <laughs> All good, Sam. All good, Sam. Yeah, you talk about the Dodgers and, their, and, and the run that they're currently on with, you know, since 2013, they've won all but one division title, and they lost that one by a game when they won 106 games, I believe, which is insane. Uh, and the lack of postseason, in other words, the lack of crowns, lack of World Series, it's, you know, let's call a pig a pig. Uh, the lack of World Series crowns, right? They have one in that title. And yes, you can say 2017, but whatever. What happens is, you know, I really think what happened this past year, and I think you and I have talked about this as well, the addition of the additional layer of playoffs this past year. And the, and the two teams with the two best records in the National League, both your Mets and my Dodgers, both did not make it to the World Series. Because, and I, part of it is, you know, they had the buy. Did, did the buy hurt them by having to sit out those three days? You know, once you're baseball, you're, you're on a roll. It's well, I have, to, I have to remind you, I have to remind you that the Mets did not have a buy because they lost. Oh, well, there's the Braves. Right, I stand corrected. Right, I stand corrected. Yes, but either right and, and so a team the Phillies, that, right? a the, team that come from where? A right? team that dogged us both. The team that dogged us both, <laughs> Padres. So yeah, remind right, me. right, 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 <laughs> right, right. So, and then, but but then, but then I can say yes. Look at the other side of the coin. The American League, both teams with the best records, correct? The the, the Yankees and the. Astros made it through. So, you know, that takes my, my theory and kind of just blows it up everywhere. But go back to go back to 2020, and, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, yeah, it wasn't a full season. But I think the, the longer this season gets away from us, uh, you know, me as a Dodger fan, of course it's, I'm going to say that it was incredibly hard. First of all, that postseason was played in a the bubble. They had until up until that date, they were the Dodgers in 2021 more postseason games in one season, in one year than anybody under the constant testings of COVID. Blah, you know. So I could, you know, I could go on, and it's yes, they need to, obviously the Dodgers need to win another one. Right. So Steve, I always forget where you currently stand. Are you a Braves fan, and which would make sense? You know, I'll tell you the truth. I was a Braves fan until last year. But I have a <laughs> sports loyalty that's greater than the Braves, and that's the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And last year, after the Braves <laughs> won the World Series, their manager, who I had really liked up until he did this, he made this public service commercial that they played on TV all the time saying everybody in the state of Georgia should be pulling for the University of Georgia because they were going to be the national champions just like the Braves were the World Series champions. And, friend, when he did that, that's all he needed to do to make sure I never pull for the Atlanta Braves again because Georgia Tech – <laughs> means a lot. So, Mr. Brian Snicker messed up, in my opinion. I don't need a baseball team in Atlanta trying to get the whole state to pull for the team I hate, the University of Georgia. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Oh, my God. Oh, this is amazing. So you're a college man, Rob. How do you how do you see? I, I, first of all, I love it, Steve. I absolutely love it. It's somebody who went to a Division three and kind of has only recently gotten into the day-to-day machinations of college sports because I work at a bar on Saturday. Um, <laughs> Rob, what do you say hearing that? Oh, how many hours you got? Uh, seriously, uh, my other obsession, the University of Illinois football and basketball. Yeah, uh, so I agree. I love what you said, Steve, and if, and if Dave Roberts were to come out and bash Illinois football or basketball, I would be, I don't know if I'd be right with you, but he wouldn't because we're not in the same state. So I'm safe. So, no, I, uh, I'm i sorry, Sam, you didn't have a college experience like, like I did, and, I, and I'm very grateful for it. And uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. I, like I said, I could go on talking for hours. I'm spending, on January 2nd, I'm spending 25 hours in the city of Tampa watching my, football, my, my, my beloved Illinois football team play in the Rely Quest Bowl, and I'm literally going down there for the game. I'm going to be in Tampa for 25 hours just to show you how nuts I am. And here's how nuts I am. I, <laughs> this, here's how we're going to tie this all in. We're going to take a look at <laughs> the games, football games played <laughs> in Ebbets Field. So oh, give me a year. Steve, give me a year. Uh, and I'll tell you what football team played, what, what college game played there. <laughs> to tie it all well, back you know, around. <laughs> when you started to ask that question, I thought you were asking about the time between 1930 and 1943 when Ebbets Field had a football <laughs> team called the Brooklyn Dodgers. Right. So uh, I know about that, and... Um, by the way, talking about your TV show, I think I would suggest that the title be Trolley Dodgers, tapping right into the history <laughs> of of the Brooklyn Dodgers. But uh, I don't know any college football games played at Emmett's Field, but I did know there was a professional football team, the Brooklyn Dodgers, yeah. that played at Emmett's Field. Well, I was talking about this with a Cardinal fan yesterday, and what's fascinating, and Rob, this ties to your city, is that the Arizona, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> pardon me, the Arizona football team, the Cardinals, which were in St. Louis at some point, Rob, they originally started in Chicago in 1902. Yes, they did. In Comiskey Park, and, and, for the majority of their games. And what's, yeah. what's fascinating to me, and, and and I'll so real quick, the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, played the Metropolitan College All Stars on twelve third uh, third uh, sorry twelve three nineteen thirty eight. They won twenty seven to fourteen. It was a benefit game that it only had nine thousand six hundred fifteen people attend. So going to the Cardinals. You know, you had the Brooklyn football Dodgers, Rob. You had the New York football Yankees. And you still, to this day, have the New York football Giants who won a big game against the Washington Commanders yesterday. Um, The New York football Giants are the only current connection to that time. And so whenever I, I heard that the Cardinals were originally in St. Louis, why would I think ever that they were originally dating back to 1902, the Cardinals of Chicago? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Well, if you look at if you look at the, the history of the NFL, and now we're gone, we're tangentially going to football. I mean, those teams moved all over the place a lot of times, a lot of quick, and and like it's, what, the fact that the Cardinals were in Chicago for that long. Is actually pretty good. I mean, Canton had a team. I mean, all these little towns. You know where the Chicago Bears started? In Decatur, a little itty-bitty town in central Illinois about about three hours due south of us, you know. And it's I mean, those teams moved around. They were, I think, I think George Hallis, 
who, uh, who uh, the owner, the original owner of the Chicago Bears, he paid a $200 franchise fee. Anybody, you know, could scrape a couple of dollars together, they could get a, they could get a franchise. And I think that has a lot to do with how, they, how come these, these teams moved all over the place. Yeah, you know, uh, you know I, yeah, go ahead, Steve, go ahead. I just wanted to tell you all something. I ran across this the other day, and I didn't know it until then, and it does indirectly possibly impact the Brooklyn Dodgers. In 1941, after the 1941 season, the St. Louis Browns wanted to move to Los Angeles and the American League voted in what they call a pre-approval vote to let the Browns move to Los Angeles for the 1942 season. And one week before they were going to have the final definite vote, unfortunately, is when Pearl Harbor happened. If that hadn't have happened, the Browns would have moved to Los Angeles and the Dodgers could have stayed in Brooklyn. And that is fascinating, Rob, you know, these little bigger-than-baseball life, you know, world history moments uh, did affect the eventual vote. Um, I mean, you know, when you look at it right now, you know, the Browns would have been Los Angeles and there wouldn't have been a state rivalry tie-in that was able to be allowed with the Dodgers and the Giants moving there. Um, and, and as much as I need to make the show about so many other things, Rob, it does always come back to the way ownership, you know, the arc of ownership, whether that be edits or other, happens. Very true. Uh you think about what you said, Steve, too, about the Browns moving to Los Angeles, to LA in for the for the forty two season. It in hindsight, had they had Pearl Harbor not happened, had all this stuff had right ready for this, I'll tie it to Chicago. Had Pearl Harbor not happened and World War Two not happened, Wrigley Field would have got lights at the same time. Uh, uh Philip K. Wrigley, who on the Cubs had the light towers underneath Wrigley Field ready to put them up. He donated the steel to the war effort. I go, I digress. But the fact that it had the had the Browns gone to, to LA for forty two, I just don't know how it would have happened. They would have been the only team out there with the with with the very very primitive state of air travel. How would have teams gone out there for one series? Because you remember the Dodgers and Giants together, team teams come out, they hit one team, then they hit the other. Makes it a lot easier in the late fifties when air tra- travel is. Still in its infancy, but still a lot better than it was in 1942. I just, you know, going back to the Browns, what in the world would have happened having them to take a, you know, with with airline travel, you know, they had to stop every 200 miles to, to refuel, and it would probably take that flight. I'm not going to, whatever. It just would have been a, a logistical nightmare. It's well, very know, true, uh, you know, just thinking about that. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say, I could say everything I know I learned from Google, but it is about the truth. And um, if anybody wants to Google it, when I read what I read, they had worked out somehow the travel issues. And I think there was some team that was going to move to San Francisco. So when teams from the East went to play, they would be able to play two teams and maybe have a long series. But they claimed in what I read that they had worked all that out about the transportation. So um, I, I don't know, but I'm sure that life does get in the way of baseball, and it would be interesting to do revisionist history and and try to figure out exactly what would have happened. You are listening to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, and as we come up to the half-hour mark, I'm going to go first to Steve, Steve Dugan, uh, for his shameless plug. Steve, tell us where we can find you, 
and anything else you would like uh, the audience to know? You mean about that book? By all means, please. Yeah, well, I wrote um, this past year, I wrote a very short book. It's barely long enough to even be called a book. And it just got published, and um, it's called The Nine-Word Story of Faith, Love, and Perseverance. But the only thing it has to do with the Brooklyn Dodgers is it's about a bunch of miracles God did so that I could marry my wife. And I think anything that involves miracles is probably familiar with people who were fans of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Well said. Uh, that is very true, and uh, we look forward to reading the book. So uh, is it on Amazon, it's wherever you can find books? You know, if you go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble's website or the website of this Westbow Press, and you type in the book's name and my name, and you look for a blue cover with a cloud on it shaped like the number nine, it's possible to find it. But I think I saw today on the bestseller list, my little book was at 1,300,000 and something thousand. So I guess I have a way to go before it'll be in the bookstore. Hey, you never know what miracles can occur, right? As, as you were that's saying. The, so. you know, that's the point of the book, and that is also what real life has in common with baseball. You need miracles. You need miracles. Don't I know it as a fan of the Miracle Mets? Uh, Steve, thank you for that. And uh, Rob Barnes, shameless plug away. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations, Steve, on your writing. I'm looking forward to I'm going to hunt it down and look for it. Congratulations. I know as being married to a published author, my wife has, read a, has written a book or two, and it's, I know what a task it is. So first of all, congratulations. My shameless plug is, you know, I just, I just hang out on Twitter. You know, I, I don't get political about things. I, you know, don't even want to go, start to go there. I hang out on Twitter for the sports talk, depending on what season it is, depending on what team I am currently in, in just spending all of my sports time into and especially when it comes to off season it's definitely the Brooklyn Dodgers and doing more research and I like to say what I do too is I call myself a, an armchair historian I just looked at my inventory of books on the Dodgers both Brooklyn and LA and I'm over 90 so I'm kind of obsessed about things and so that's one of them so that's my shameless one <laughs> I absolutely love it, and um, where to go from here? You know, we're talking about miracles, Steve, and um, it is, is the spirituality of baseball something that draws you to it? Yeah, it really is, and uh, when I was 11 years old, Christmas Day of 1961, Santa Claus brought me one of my presents was something called an APBA baseball game. That's pronounced, that's spelled A-P-B-A, baseball game. And with the APBA game, you get a card set for every team. Every player has a card based on how he performed the previous season. You can replay whole seasons. You can keep statistics. You can play it by yourself. And so to me... To me, baseball is better in my imagination than it is on television because in my imagination, nobody spits, nobody scratches, there's no empty seats, everything is just perfect. So baseball, anything that's capable of taking up residence in a person's imagination has got to be a powerful thing, and baseball does that. Exactly. You know, uh, there, there's just a feeling of being at church that I don't get at any other sporting event, Rob. I think part of a lot of that comes to the, 
the pace of baseball. You know, it's not like basketball where they're constantly running. It's not like football. You have these incredible bursts of action, and then you have 25 or 30 seconds between. With baseball, I think the pace of it allows you to be, 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 uh, be thoughtful about that, about whatever you need to think about, whether it's your family, whether it's personal, whether it's spirituality or whatever. I think baseball allows you to do that. Being outside in the summer when it's just absolutely gorgeous out, when it's hot, whether it's whatever, I really think the pace of baseball and everything that has to do with it lends to that. Exactly. And thinking, yeah, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say another thing about baseball. Baseball is like life. The other sports are an escape from life. Baseball is like life. And this is what I mean. You don't meet any perfect people. Even the best person you're ever going to meet on this earth is going to be a long way from perfect. So, like, look at baseball. The best team that ever played lost a lot of games. The best team that ever played made a lot of errors. There's no perfection in baseball. Now, there is in football. Those Miami Dolphins were 17-0. and but there's no perfection in baseball, just like there's no perfection in life. And there's no artificial time limit in baseball. There is in the other sports. So baseball is really the sport that's the most like life. Rob, I've said this too in as much that the worst team – is going to win 60 to 70 games. In basketball, 23 to 25 games. I, I, don't, I think it's similar in hockey, but when you think about football, the worst team is going to lose 13 games and win three. Like, even at its worst, you still have a lot to root for and enjoy and have it be that much more special in baseball, even though you know that 70-92 team was bad. You still had 70 wins that made you cheer very, very wholeheartedly. Very much so. That 70 days in the summer, you're, you're like, yeah, you can still think we have a chance. And especially, as I said earlier, with the additional rounds of playoffs and what three or four wild cards now, however many it is, you know, more teams and more cities are still, you know, they still have their hat in the ring. If they can, you know, you think about it, the way baseball is, and that's why we have so many games is because the ball, excuse me, if the ball bounces one way, you know, it's it's an out, it's a hit. It's a, it's a game of inches, right? If, if, if the ball runs our way, we're going to win, we're going to win uh, maybe six more, and then we're 76 and 86, and maybe we're really, really sniffing a chance at the playoffs. So I think the fact that baseball is the way baseball is built just helps, just helps more fan bases, helps more fans, helps everybody keep their, keep their interest in the game a lot longer in the summer. So, Steve, do you think it's a detriment or an advantage that you can bask in that win or, um, you know, be, be taken over by that loss. But within 24 hours, generally, you have to forget about your highs or forget about your lows because there's another game coming up within less than a day, generally. You know what? I don't even think with baseball – that winning or losing is the most important thing. I think with baseball, the most important thing is that it's a constant companion. Whether your team wins or loses, they're going to be part of your day for 162 days every year. And it gets to where you don't care as much about whether they won or lost as the fact that you can turn on the radio and listen to them again tomorrow. So, you know, like, to me, 
it's just baseball is a friend. The other sports are different. So it's better not whether you win or lose or getting over winning or losing. The great thing about baseball, it's a constant companion for a lot of the year, a constant companion. Rob, every Sunday I know that I can tune into the Jets and the Giants. You know, here and there, as a uh, a bartender now, I have to check to see if the Knicks or the Rangers or the Islanders or the Devils, depending on what is on on any given night. I personally am a Rangers and a Knicks fan, but I'm going to be, that's, you know, from a day-to-day perspective of working at a bar, I am checking to see whether it's the Brooklyn Nets or the New York Knicks or the New York Rangers or the New York Islanders or the New Jersey Devils during the winter. Whereas baseball, I know there's going to be a Yankees or Mets game on. I know it doesn't matter what time of the day it is on any given day, I will be able to find that. What Steve talked about, ball being a friend, is very, very true. Because, you know, the Nets are going to be on on any certain day. The Rangers are going to be on on any certain day. But if I'm trying to find, for my bar purposes, the other teams, I'm going. It, the Ranger, the Rangers, and the Knicks are not going to be there every single day. But basketball and hockey somehow, some way, will be during the winter. Baseball, it's a given. Very true. And I, and I really go, I'll go back to what Steve said, too. It's, it's perfect what you said about baseball being a constant companion. It really is. It's, it, you know, it's being there all the time. But what, what you said, Sam, about the wintertime, and, and think about it, right? Both of those sports, hockey and basketball, have pretty much exactly the half of the half life, half of the length of the season that that baseball does. So right, you have to do a little little heart hunting, a little searching. But you, I, I'm 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 assuming you as a bartender, and there's going to be a, a guy coming and say, "Hey, turn on the next game. Hey, turn on the the Devils game." So I'm sure you I'm sure you have a lot of help with it on that on that aspect. I do, but considering we're Midtown Manhattan. Uh, like, if the Rangers are on, the Rangers are going to be on. I'm not going to put the Islanders or Devils on if the Rangers are on. And if you want the Nets game, go to Brooklyn. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> I, if, the, if the Knicks are on instead, you know, if the Knicks are on at the same time, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to put the Knicks on. We're 12 blocks or less away from the Garden, please. Anyway, um, <laughs> Steve. Where do you fall on these other sports? We are in the winter. You know, part of the idea of coming back is to just remind myself for starters that I do a podcast on this side of things. Um, But it is, you know, I'm glad that we had some football talk. Uh, I I think that was appropriate. I like that we had some college sports talk. Um, you know, do you follow basketball? Do you follow hockey? And if on a pro level, who do you follow? Well, I, I like playoff hockey. Those two months of playoff hockey, that's one of my favorite things in the year for sports. I like uh, college basketball. I like college. I like Georgia Tech basketball. I like Georgia Tech baseball. I like any championships I like the Masters Golf Tournament I like when I think the way it's set up now take hockey for instance the playoffs last two months I don't even know what's going on in hockey right now I would never watch a regular season hockey game but when the playoffs start I won't miss any games so there's so much time of the year that's a playoff in some major sport that now I just build my whole 
sports calendar around watching playoffs. I go from the playoffs of one sport to the playoffs of another sport. I just skip the regular season and everything except baseball and Georgia Tech. Anything else, I'm just watching whatever sports have in the playoffs. Like, I just watched the World Cup because it's big games, the emotion, the people caring. You get that in a lot of these playoffs, but you don't get it out of the regular season anymore. So that's a good segue, Rob. Um, You know, it it kind of got me looking off, like, when Marilyn Monroe was at Abbott's Field for a, a soccer game, and, of course, the world knows it as World Cup. So did you watch any of this? And let me remind myself what game was actually at Ebbets Field the day Marilyn Monroe showed up. I'm seeing the picture in my in, in my brain right now, and I'm, I'm I'm sure you're googling it. It doesn't come in. It doesn't come 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 to me at the top of off the top of my head. As to did I watch the World Cup? The answer is I'm sorry, I did not. I saw I saw probably five minutes of it when we were, we just came back from a, a trip to Mexico and it was on down there. But, you know, I, honestly, I am not – I am so passionate with my three sports. I really limit my sports, watch, my sports watching to Dodgers baseball, Alana football, Alana basketball. And that's really what I do. And if I take all those games a year, that, that's pretty much close to 200-plus days a year. And so uh, I, I, I have a tendency to use other parts of my lives and my other activities during the rest of the time. So it looks like it was Hopple. It was the Hopple Tel Aviv soccer team. And I think, honestly, they were taking on the Israeli national team. So I think it was a full-on Israel exhibition but I, cool. I, I i have to yeah i have to go deep into that and that's where Ed, that's where all the photos were taken of, of marilyn monroe 1957 uh so you know last chance for brooklyn mm-hmm. fans to see anything there uh that was that was of note um let's talk i i think this is an appropriate direction to go since we had yet to mention that because You know, either us New York fans have to go out to Harrison, New Jersey for the New York Red Bulls, or we have to go to Yankee Stadium for the NYCFC. You know, us us outer borough folks don't really have much of a choice, Steve. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) uh, soccer slash football for the rest of the world. Yeah, I didn't know if you were asking me a a question. So you want to talk about? I guess the. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was an appropriate place to go, Uh, Steve. How did you view the World Cup? And and um, uh, who do do you follow? American football, American football, soccer. Excuse me. I don't know how to phrase it properly. But do you follow American soccer at all? No, I I don't. What I like about sports, besides baseball, baseball's different. What I like about the other sports is the passion and the emotion, the fact that the crowd cares so much, the, the fact that it's really important to people. Seeing you can watch a game, if it's a big game, you're going to see some people in the stands crying and some people in the stands celebrating. Some people crying because they're sad. Some people crying because they're happy. I love anything that has emotion in it. So regular season soccer in America doesn't mean anything to me. But when you get countries together to play soccer and it's the biggest thing in their life, now I want to watch that. I like emotion. So, Steve, um, I mean, you know, any time that I got a chance to see the World Cup, you're right. 
there were plenty of people, let's say, let's cut to Morocco, for example, you know, even though they were the odds on, maybe not the odds on favorite to lose, but nobody expected them to make it as far as they did. Even at that, in that last game, as much as fans are privy to how uh, miraculous it is that their team is facing France, you know, they're still crying when it looks like all is not. Um, all is for now, excuse me. So, uh, where were you? Who did you root for? What, what, uh, what were your allegiances during this World Cup? Well, you know, the underdogs, it seemed to me like, and I don't know anything about soccer, but it, it seemed to me like the underdogs were Croatia and Morocco. So I decided I was pulling for them because they were the underdogs. That's why I'm a Georgia Tech fan. Georgia Tech is a tough place just to be a student. But to go there and play football and be a student seems impossible to me. So I gravitate to Georgia Tech because I like underdogs. And so I'm always pulling for underdogs, and it's a bad way to live. I would recommend to people... This would be my recommendation to people if they want to be happy next year. Be an Alabama football fan. you got a great team. <laughs> and, you know, it takes absolutely no character and very little brain power. So go do it right now. Don't louse up your life by being a Georgia Tech fan. You start pulling for Alabama tomorrow, and you're going to be a happy person, I promise you. And then in baseball, be a Yankee fan. You'll have a happy life. It'll probably lower your blood pressure. You're going to do that immediately. Don't be for any of these other things. So, like, you know, I know people, and I consider them fools, and I'll just tell you how you can spot a fool. If somebody comes up to you and you say, what's your favorite football team? They say Alabama. What's your favorite basketball team? Duke. That's a fool. You know, that's a person who just (laughs) plain doesn't care about anything. You know, there's no loyalty. They just want to pretend that they're on the winning side. They're not on any side. (laughs) So the thing with sports is either take the easy way out and you'll end up with nothing or be for a team you really like and suffer with them when they lose, and then if they accidentally win, you'll really feel great. <laughs> you know, Rob, I, I, here's where I relate to that, other than the fact that I used to be a Yankees fan uh, and, and figured out that this, this personally was not as fulfilling as people like to make it out to be, considering they win all the time. And, you know, I decided in the thick of it, uh, at the tail end of the thick of it, that I, I needed not to be a Yankee fan. But, um, you know, I, I started rooting for the Rangers on a daily basis this year, the New York Rangers. And, of course, you know, they, they like, all the, t- all the times I tune in, they start losing. And, of course, in my head, it's just like, God, figures. You know, finally, I, I'm I'm paying attention to hockey on a daily basis, and they're doing exactly what all my other teams do all the time. <laughs> but, you know, I laugh so heavily because my sisters are from Birmingham, and so, you know, I I I text. They're very big World Tide fans, and I. I text them. My dad used to text them on game days, even though he wasn't like a giant Bama fan. And I, you know, when I saw the the uh, the Bo Jackson documentary, I thought to myself, eh, if I had a choice as somebody who went to Division three school, I'd probably root for Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> And, but, like, again, I could not care enough about a, spe- a specific team. Like, I think about rooting for UCLA only because those uniforms are just – it doesn't matter the sport. The uniforms are spectacular. 
that's where I come in on baseball teams. Auburn's orange and blue, like my Mets. That's where, you know, I would come in. Bo, he's the most exciting. He's the Yankees of athletes, you know, just as a singular athlete. He's the Yankee of athletes. So that's the reason I would root for Auburn. But that's what made me laugh about uh, Bama, and that's where, you know, I think about when it comes to, to sports is that even if, even if I decided to start rooting for Bama, they'd probably resort to being the underdog because <laughs> that's, that's apparently the vibe I come, for, I, I come in on. Oh, you mean like this year they didn't make the, the, the college football playoffs? Thoughts and prayers to the Alabama fan base. As <laughs> right. someone who is – Thoughts and prayers. So here, here's, prayer. Yeah, yeah. Here, here, here's the high level. I went to the University of Illinois, uh, got there in the fall of 80 when a, when a football coach by the name of Mike White got there. Took the team from absolute garbage to the Rose Bowl in three years, and I witnessed it all from, I like to say, from a front row seat in the marching band. So I got to see everything, got to go everywhere. It was simply amazing. Met my wife in the band. We still have a group of 15 of us that still sit together uh, at, at football games. This is going on 40 years later. So it's definitely in my blood. It is, and I actually just saw a stat that kind of made me cringe that I know is true, but it's, it's it's hard to stomach that since 2000, which is just 2006, uh, we are the, Illinois is the fourth most losing a school in Division One football. And it's like, yeah, I know that you didn't have to you didn't have to like stick the knife in me and twist it. But still, like I say, I'm passionate about my sport teams, and that and that's and that's and that's really where it comes from. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you're coming up on the hour, Mark, and this is the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. We're so appreciative that you've been listening. And um, I, I think that's uh, – I'm going to go around first before we say goodbye uh, to see if there's anything else that my guests would like to talk about. And I'm going to start with Steve. Is there any last-minute things you would like to mention? I just want to say Merry Christmas to you guys and for your Christmas present. I'm going to be a Mets fan when they play the Braves, and I'm going to be an <laughs> Illinois fan when they play anybody for Georgia game. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I love it. I love it, Steve. I'll let you – I'm not going to cut back to you because you might change your mind. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> well, we're greatly appreciative of that. Rob, is there anything else you would like to mention? Oh, I'd like to say, first of all, every time I, every time you have me on, Sam, I'm just, just beyond humbled to, to be uh, to be asked for my input, to be asked for my for my my knowledge base that I can try to add in any any sort of way, any sort of way, shape, or form. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk. Uh, sports of any kind, especially on a night where I know you're in the South, Steve, and you're in the East, Sam, but we've got teens, and we're going down. We're supposed to have like a foot of snow and seven degrees by the end of the weekend. So happy holidays, everybody. Stay warm if you're warm, and stay uh, be thankful if you're be thankful if you're in the warmer climate. That is well said on the both of you, and uh, you have been listening to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, and I wish a very happy Christmas to everybody. Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night was the original uh, lyric, but it became merry at some point, and I first want to say happy Hanukkah, to my fellow Jewish brethren. And overall, whatever holiday you celebrate, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all the Christians that tune in. Um, you know, your Lord and Savior and I have something in common. We were both Jewish. Just wanted to remind you of that one. Uh, but hey, I still, it's, it's, it's all about a peaceful environment 
a peaceful setting, and I know that that is what uh, Mr. Christ wanted back in the day uh, before everything went down. Um, <laughs> this podcast is getting awkward anytime I talk about Christianity. So to, to one Jew to another, Merry Holidays. And thank you, you for go. listening to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Steve, thank you for joining us. Rob, thank you for joining us. Take care, everybody. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good holiday. Good night. Happy Hanukkah. Good night. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Hanukkah.